Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. Right, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a fascinating interview. We're going to talk to Tony Ray about regression. He's a regressionist. In fact, the world's leading past life regressionist. Hello, Tony. Hello there. That's a very big, bold statement. Well, yes, it's a very big subject as well, and not one that I've always believed in. I started, as a lot of people do, very much as a sceptic. And then I was up in Yorkshire taking a group of corporate clients for stress, not giving it to them, you understand, yeah. hopefully taking it as a way, because my background is a, as a hypnotist. And the owner of the hotel there said, oh, I'm glad you're staying overnight, Tony, because I promised our bar manager that you'd take him and discover his past life for him. I said, well, hold on. I don't believe in that. It's all a load of tosh. Well, tosh wasn't the exact word I used, but it was very similar. <laughs> and so um, he said, well, look, we'll wait till everybody's gone to bed. We'll go in the bar. There'll just be me, the wife, and the bar manager. Well, when I'd been taught as a hypnotist, you're going back now 35 years, because I've been at it for, well, quite some time. And uh, we were always taught that past lives simply didn't exist. It was what was classed as a false memory syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that. And whilst I've taken people back and regressed them within this life, perhaps people who'd been abused as a child or that kind of thing, I hadn't done anything with taking people back to former lives because I didn't believe in it. So anyway, everybody went off to bed. We're in the bar. We've had a couple of G&Ts. And they said, right, we're going to... Uh, I'll introduce you to the bar manager. So uh, I started to take this guy back, and he said uh, he was a soldier. So I thought, right. So I asked him the date and, you know, what he was doing. And apparently it turned out it was the Crimea War. So I thought, I'll catch him out. I'll ask him for his army number. So he rattled off this number. And I thought clearly afterwards, well, that's not his phone number. So maybe there's something in that. And then I said, OK, who are you next of kin? And we were in Yorkshire. Yeah. And he gave some obtuse little village somewhere in Suffolk. I looked it up on Google. And um, other services are available. And uh, it turns out it does exist. And so he gave me the name, you know, May and George, his mother and father, etc. And I said, what rank are you? And he said, I'm a Lance Corporal. I said, how did you get to become a Lance Corporal? And he said, well... I pulled these people out of a trench because the trench was collapsing. It wasn't under fire or anything, Peter. It was simply badly built. And when the rain came down, he had to pull these people out of the trench. And so I thought, right, OK, quite an interesting tale. And I just went away the following day, didn't think anything more of it. A few months went by and I had a phone call from the owner of this hotel. And they said, you remember when you last came up and you took that bar manager back for his previous life. I said, oh, yeah. He said, well, the wife and I have just had a weekend in London. And I thought, why is he telling me? And he said, while we were there, we went to the Imperial War Museum. And you remember my wife took some notes of what this man was saying in his yeah. previous existence. He said, well, she took those with her. We asked the staff at the Imperial War Museum, how do you trace a soldier from the Crimea War? And they said, oh, well, ideally, you need the military number. Oh, she said, we've got all that. They've got his name and his army number, his next of kin. And they tracked it down that everything this guy had said proved to be on record. So I thought, either he's gone to an awful lot of trouble just to fool me, or maybe 
just maybe there is something in this. So I started to take people back, primarily on a one-to-one basis, um, but I still wasn't entirely convinced. So I'd be asking them a question like, okay, you're saying the year is 1785, which king or queen is on the throne? Alternatively, uh, you're going to the market in the 1800s to buy a loaf of bread. How much is it? And if they said it was, I don't know, a farthing, half a groat, that kind of thing would be believable. Mm-hmm. If they said it was 97p from the supermarket, <laughs> yeah. clearly yeah. they were making it up, weren't they? Yeah. But I've got to tell you, Peter, the thing that gets me every time, and I've been doing this now, well, I've been hypnotist for over 35 years, uh, I got made up to the, be the chairman of the British Council of Professional Hypnotists in 1995, when Paul McKenna used to be the chairman, and he got mega famous, and well, I didn't. And uh, so that happened then. So I've been doing this for some time, but the thing that always amazes me is the handwriting. And depending how far we go back, not everybody, of course, could read and write, depending on their station in life. Mm-hmm. But if they could read and write, I get them to write down their name, address, date of birth, names and dates of birth of any children, and then they argue with me afterwards. And if I'm doing this in a public show, because I do various public events, you know, theatres, hotels, restaurants, and all kinds of... Well, I'll tell you about some of the odd plays that I've done later. But anyway, they argue with me afterwards that this is not their handwriting, because it's written very much in the style and shape of the day not how we write nowadays. And because you're male in this life doesn't mean that you weren't female in a previous existence. And if you were, then the timbre of your voice and the way that you're sitting in the chair like you are now, that will all change. So your, the voice pitch will be higher, but don't worry, it's not permanent, only while you're doing it. And then you revert back to what you were originally. And occasionally we get people who speak in foreign languages that they swear blind they have no prior knowledge of. So it's quite a wide-ranging thing. It is indeed. I'm amazed. The first hypnotist I ever worked with, Tony, was Edwin Heath. Oh, my Lord, that's going back a bit. It is indeed. You're older than your sound. You're older than 25, aren't you? I'm 71. and My Lord. And Edwin and I worked at Fagan's in Manchester, in Oxford Street, in the Cabaret Club. And that was the first experience I ever had of a hypnotist, ever. Right. Now, I am one of those people that can't be hypnotised. There are people in the world like me, aren't there? I mean, I've been to uh, professionals. I've worked with professionals. I've been to see uh, a clinical uh, um, hypnotherapist. And I can't be hypnotised. Why is that? That's not quite true. Um, Everyone listening to us talking now, everyone, without exception, goes through a state of hypnosis at least twice a day, every day of their lives. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night and they wouldn't wake up again in the morning. Now, obviously, you don't recall it at night time because you've gone into the somnastic state, i.e. you've fallen asleep. But there is a period of time in the morning, only very briefly, when you're perhaps aware of birds singing in the trees or traffic going by outside. Mm -hmm. You're aware of it, but you're not bothered or concerned by it. And that is the state of hypnosis. So you're doing it naturally. You have to do it. 
Do you take the same route in your car? I assume you go by car, do you, to the studio? Yes, I do, and day? I go the same route. Yeah. Have you ever had that feeling, good gracious, what's happened to the last two or three miles? No, but I'll tell you where I have had that, because right. I, I told this story before. When I was on the road as a working comic, which I don't do anymore now because I'm resident here, um, and I was doing 70,000 miles a year, I always remember somebody said, try talking books. So I started listening to talking books, and I remember coming back from a gig in Watford and then waking up, not waking up, thinking, yeah. hang on, where was Birmingham? Yeah. I'm in yeah. Stafford. Where the hell was Birmingham? Yeah. So I remember that distinctly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's switching off. I mean, you're perfectly safe, aren't you? If you're driving along and you hit a set of traffic lights, I don't mean physically hit them, but if you approach a set of traffic lights, they turn to red, you would stop the car, wouldn't you? Yeah, so you yeah. drove there quite safely. Yeah. You weren't doing anything stupid yeah. whilst you were driving. But that is another, another example mm. of the state of hypnosis. It's when the conscious mind switches off. Now, having met you, as I say, once previously, I know you are... Very active in the mind, aren't you? Very. Your mind is very lively, yeah. alert, just swapping from subject to subject, which is, you know, probably why you're so good at doing the job that you do. Um, but, yes, and if there was something that you wanted to get out of it, I believe you could be hypnotised. That's fascinating. It's all a case of how much you want it, how much you need it. There are three main areas where I operate. I suppose I'm most famous for the past life stuff because... I've done so much of it. I've done sort of 11 television programmes in this country, and I've done Japanese TV. But I also do uh, stop smoking sessions. I take whole groups of people. I can take up to 200 people at a time, and 85% of them will cease smoking completely and forever. And the reason for that is nobody was born a smoker. From a hypnosis point of view, it's one of the simplest things to do, because nobody came out of the womb and lit up a cigarette. So they were, what, 8, 10, 12 years old before they even smoked. Yeah. So all we're doing is, if you like, turning people back to what they were, which is a non-smoker. And, yes, it takes a few days to achieve this because you've got to flush all of the chemicals out of the body that these people have been taking on board. Their friends may notice before they do even that they're taking fewer puffs on the cigarette if, indeed, they try and light a cigarette, which becomes harder for them. Because all we're doing is turning them back to what they were originally, which is non-smokers. Right. And the other thing I've been getting into more recently, the last three or four years, which has become uh, a bigger and bigger slice of the activity that I do, is helping people with sleep. I didn't realise till just recently in the press that over 90% of people at some time in their life, Peter, have a problem with sleeping. I'm not a big sleeper. I four hours a day. That's me, and half and an hour. All you need. That's four hours, but I must have half an hour at seven o'clock. Right. At yeah. night. So yeah. four hours at night, I go to bed. Four thirty yeah. in the morning, most mornings, and then every so often I will crash and need ten hours, and, and yeah. that's very you need very. You build up that. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of energy which you've lost, yeah. don't you, over the yeah. period. Yeah. Let's go back to regression. Absolutely. Do you believe, Tony, that everybody is from a past life? Everybody has at least one or more past lives, yes. Now, you see, as a little boy growing up, and as somebody's getting older now, I get scared of death, like most people do, but I also get scared of coming back. And the psychological thing is, I've got such a lovely life now, I don't want anything less than I've got now. But I would never know that, would I? No, 
have no control and I have no way of telling what you're going to come back as, right. except that you do tend to bring things back with you from a previous life. In other words, you tend to learn lessons. And there are two reasons why people come and see me. One is they're just curious. And secondly, and this is becoming an increasing factor, they have issues within this life that are unexplainable. And that could be things like the most popular would be relationships. But sometimes it's also fears and phobias. Mm. And I don't mean like a fear of flying, because that's fairly recent. But, uh, but sometimes they have fears or phobias. Let me give you an example. Do you know John Stapleton, the TV yes, reporter? Yes, I do. Yep. Um, I think it's with Good Morning Britain or something, isn't he, now? One of those, yeah. Yeah, I was doing the TV show and I took him back. Uh, initially, he wasn't going to do it, but somebody else didn't turn up. He was a presenter for the show. And he said, OK, well, I'll just give it a go. But he had no strong opinion as to, yeah. you know, whether it was something true or not. And we took him back and he became John O'Malley from Ireland. And he moved from Ireland fully enough to Liverpool where he met a lady, fell in love, they got married, and he was um, a seaman, and he worked his way up to not the captain, but would it be the first officer on the sailing ship? This is in the 1800s, right. on the sailing ship. And on one occasion, the ship he was first officer on was moored off one of the Greek islands. It was carrying sugar, I think, or something sweet. And... Uh, the crew had all gone ashore, and the captain told John O'Malley that the ship was being overrun with rats, and he'd got to get rid of them. It was his job to get rid of all the rats. Right. So anyway, he did that, and then he told me afterwards that in this life he's got one fear, and as you know, in this life he covers war zones, famines, all kinds of things, but he has one deep-seated fear, and that is an incredible fear of rats. So now he believes that this didn't come from something that's happened during his lifetime here today. It wasn't somebody putting a rat down the back of his yeah. jumper when he was at school or anything like that. This, in fact, relates back to something in the 1800s. So that would be kind of one example of, of how it connects with what's happened in the past with the life that you're leading yeah. now. Now, Tony, well, I, sorry, I, I've got to tell you about my experience. I had a, I use psychics on this programme and we've had several people over the years. I'm a non-believer, um, but I, um, I, 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 I hold my hands up, you know, and I will listen to interviews like we're doing now. But I had this lady called Jane who wanted to regress me back. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to try. Now, I remember, and where I'm sitting now is in the studio next door, so I can remember when it happened. And I remember not fighting it, but not feeling it was happening. But one thing stayed with me. She was taking me through doors. And I went through a door. This is what I can remember that she, you know, and she said, there's your mother. Hold your mother's hand. And I held my mother's hand, and I loved my mother uncontrollably and lost a very about 30 odd years ago and in fact it's just been her anniversary and I held her hand she said now let go and go through the door and, and all I remember was I would not let go mm -hmm. and I said I want I want to come I want I want to stop this mm -hmm. but
but I I can now still sense holding my mum's hand. That's yeah. the only part of an experience I've had with regression. Yeah. Well, different people use different techniques. That's not a technique that I would use, to right. be perfectly frank with you, because you're going to have a strong association with a very close family member, and that's obviously the strong emotion that you recall and you remember now. Mm-hmm. So that's not a technique that, that I would use. Um, I would love it if you came along to it, if I were doing anything in Liverpool. And one reason, uh, I've got to tell you, I've never been to Liverpool, oh. despite <laughs> the fact that actually my mum is a Liverpoolian. All right. Yeah. But and I've you've never, never been, been here. Shame no. on you. I know. It is, isn't it? You know, I've been all over the place doing this. I've been in, in Turkey, South Africa, all over the place doing this. But nobody has ever invited me yet to Liverpool. So if somebody invites me from a hotel or whatever, I would love to come right. and hold of my manager um, and uh, co-sum entertainment and uh, just set something up. And I'd love it if you came along and bring a recording thing with you and let's just see what we can find out so about brief- your past life. Briefly... How would you, if you and I were together now, how would you regress me? Right. Um, Well, I would be taking you down the staircase and along a corridor, and then we'd go through an archway or something like that, and we'd discover your past life on the other side. But you, I wouldn't be telling you anything like, this is your mother or whatever. I wouldn't be... This would all have to come from you. I need to ask you, every, every question would be an open question. Where are we? What are we doing? And gradually you build up from all the five sets of senses. So smell, taste, touch, sight and hearing. For instance, you might be wearing a silk shirt. I don't know at the moment. You might have a silk shirt on. But in your past life, it might have been a rough jerkin or a rough woolen jumper. And it would feel rough to the touch. You might feel we're outside. Perhaps we're somewhere by the sea. You might feel, and I wouldn't be saying this, you'd be telling me I can feel a breeze on my face or the warmth of the sun on my skin or a cold wind blowing. So gradually the picture would build up. You see what I mean? And this is our first step into it before we start asking you more detailed questions like what is your name? What is your date of birth? What month of the year would we celebrate your birthday? What day in the month would we celebrate your birthday? So we start to build up a picture about you and your family. And we finish, we ask for the most interesting and exciting thing. I'm not interested in finding out how somebody died because every past life has obviously come to a conclusion and sometimes not always peacefully. So I'm not there to upset anyone. Mm-hmm. All I'm there for is to discover who that person was in that past life and also to find out what it is that you want to bring with you from that life into the current life that we're leading now. What is the purpose of it? The purpose of it is twofold. One is there are people who are curious. They perhaps go to a town or a village somewhere where they've never been and they're perhaps with friends and somebody says, I wonder where the church is. And they would say, oh, well, we just go over that bridge at the bottom by the blacksmith's shop and the, and the church is just opposite there. And I think, well, you've never been here before. So that feeling of deja vu, mm-hmm. yep. that gets people curious. Things happen. They can't understand. Have you got siblings, Peter? Have you got brothers or sisters? I'm an only child and I'm adopted. 
Oh, right, okay. I'm an only child as well, but not adopted. But if you've got brothers or sisters or anyone else listening to us having a chat, would you say that their outlook, their personality is the same between the brothers and sisters? Despite the fact that they've got the same parents, so they've been brought up in the same way, in the same location, with the same regimes, with the same beliefs, and yet so often the personalities are so different. And one reason that explains that is the fact that their past life was completely, utterly different from the life that they're currently leading. Tony, I could talk to you all day. How can people find out more about you? Well, they can look at my website, which has got some of the TV clips on, and that's Tony Ray, T-O-N-Y-R-A-E dot com. Last question. It'd be lovely to meet you if I ever get yeah, to Liverpool. No, 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 I'd love to. Last question I've got to ask. Yeah. Have, how many past lives have you had? Or have you not been able to find anyone that can take you back? I had a lady from Canada that took me back. And I've got to tell you that most past lives, the vast, vast majority, with one exception, which I'll tell you about in a moment, but the vast majority of past lives are normal. And that is people that were farm workers or shop girls or servants or whatever, sailors, military personnel, whatever it happens to be, they are not, as a lot of people imagine, Vikings or kings or queens. The only exception that I've ever had in all the hundreds of people that I've taken back, the only exception I've ever had was a young lady from Sheffield, in one of the group scenarios that we took. And I've played in some very strange places, from cellars underneath uh, the ruins of castles. I've played in uh, a cow shed, and the cows were still there. Would you believe? So all kinds of odd places, museums, any kind of strange place, really. And this girl from Sheffield, only sort of early 20s, and she was... One, sometimes she gets some levels of action with people. She was clearly having an argument with her husband, and she kept on and on and on at him that he was eating far too much. It turned out that she was Catherine Howard, and her husband was Henry VIII. Wow. But that's the only, that's wow. the only famous person yeah. that I've had. I've got to tell you about another instance. Very well. briefly, because we're running out of time. Oh, dear, what a shame. We'll have to catch up again. But anyway, do you know Jane Goldman, Jonathan Ross's wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lady with the long red hair. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. Now a very famous scriptwriter in uh, America. Well, we did a TV piece for her, and uh, the end of it was I was going to take her back for her past life. Apparently, she'd been to six other past life regressionists before she got to me. And they're just setting the cameras up, and she leans across, she said, Tony, don't worry if we don't manage to get anything, because we've failed six times already. So you've got to do this the right way with the right people. So anyway, we start taking her back, and uh, it turns out that she was a man in her past life, this time in the 1600s, but she was also a sailor. And her job on board the ships was to mend the officers' uniforms and to mend the sails. I'll keep this short, so I know you're short on time. But in this life, as you know, her and Jonathan Ross are not exactly short of money. They don't have to wait for the bargain sales to buy their clothes. But she said to me afterwards, I've got to tell you, Tony, this explained why I prefer to make most of my own clothes rather than buy them from the shops today. Tony Ray, you're fascinating. 
You're very welcome. Been a pleasure talking to you, Peter. I hope we get a chance to meet again someday. Oh, yes, me as well. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye.